Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. A few housekeeping points before we begin. Every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything I've referenced. So people, verses, hadith, etc. They are all in the episode notes, which you can find at makingsenseofislam.com. Most of the episodes are short form, so the notes are few. But when you listen to longer form episodes, the notes are meant to be a resource and an aid. Number two. I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday I send out a short email called Coexist Ruminations that shares what I'm working on and reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. I love holidays, celebrations, and important calendar events. And this love has grown over the years to the point that these special events are a major part of my year. Now, I've tried to pull together various literature, hadith, du'ats, etc. regarding all of these special days. So this Islamic year, and at the time of this recording, I'm referencing the year 1440, I will do my best to compile these notes and suggestions per event and upload an episode that can be used as a reference guide. So I pray for infinite blessings and happiness for all of these events for all of you. Take care. Inshallah, everyone is doing well. Thank you for tuning in again for another episode. Uh, Today, the episode is dedicated to the special month of Rajab. Uh, And Rajab is the seventh month of the Islamic calendar. And there are a few things about Rajab that are unique. One is that it is considered one of the sacred months, Al-Ashhur Al-Hurum. In our calendar, in our 12-month calendar, we have four months that are considered sacred. And the Rajab is the one month that is singular, it's by itself, which is why sometimes we refer to it as Rajab Al-Fard, the unique or the solitary uh, Rajab, meaning that it's not contiguous with the other months. The other holy months are Dhul-Qa'da, Dhul-Hijjah, the 11th and the 12th month, and then Muharram, the first month of, of the year. Uh, and those three months, 11, 12, 1, of course, are contiguous together. So Rajab, depending on how you look at it, it begins the season of the sacred months. That's typically how the ulama look at it, even though Muharram, which is the first month of the calendar, is a sacred month. But because it's sort of connected to the 11th and the 12th month and it's connected to the Hajj season and the return from Hajj and the New Year and all of that, we kind of consider Rajab as the first month, you know, the first sacred month. And the sacred months, the reason they are called sacred months is that there are times of reflection, there are times of extra devotional work. It's also a time on a community level in which we are not, uh, the community that is the body politic is not allowed to fight. So the reason they're called haram months or sacred months is that it's forbidden to wage war and conflict during these months, except, of course, if it's in self-defense. I mean, that goes without saying. And this is a practice that even the pre-Islamic Arabs had. Uh, However, the haram months, the sacred months, used, used to get in the way of their conflict, so they would actually add and subtract months throughout the year, so they would cycle out, you know, the sacred months so that they could continue their conflicts and struggle. And this is one of the goals of the prophetic mission of the Prophet, peace be upon him, was to reestablish the calendar uh, the way, as he informed us, the way that God had created the calendar, etc. And uh, therefore, the months are in order and we follow the months by the sighting of the new moon, uh, as we are all familiar with. 
So that institution is an opportunity for peace. It's an opportunity for society to mend itself. It's an opportunity for people to, uh, you know, n f trade freely. Of course, the three sacred months that are together, they revolve around the Hajj, revolve around the pilgrimage. So it's safe passage to the pilgrimage, which you can... Uh, safely travel to Mecca and Medina or Medina and Mecca depending on the order that you do it in uh, and perform your pilgrimage rites etc so this is a practice and then of course as individuals that might not necessarily be the concern for us so much as much as the idea that it is a time of where we double down on our devotional and we do, uh, practices on our invocation our dhikr and our tawbah our istighfar all of that uh, Rajab also is essentially the beginning of the preparation for Ramadan. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, he would always, uh, when Rajab would come, he said, you know, God bless us in Rajab and Sha'ban and let us arrive safely at Ramadan. Allahumma barik lana fi Rajab wa Sha'ban wa balighna Ramadan. So this is the time where we start being more attuned to the fact that in two months and less, as each day passes, we will soon be in this wonderful opportunity of Ramadan and definitely when when time gets near I'll have a special episode of course dedicated to Ramadan inshallah with some high level comments and also some practical comments on fasting and that's really the big you know the big season for us unless you're going to Hajj which you don't usually do every single year Ramadan is the big the big you know Islamic practice uh fasting you know and and in Rajab it begins that process of thinking and it begins it in the in the sense that it's also sacred month so you're you're doubling down on that thought process it's a time where okay this is a sacred month i don't want to be fighting this is a sacred month i don't want those lingering bad relationships those lingering tensions those lingering conflicts whether it be in my family or my uh, friends or siblings or whatever they, i want to iron all of that out i want to get that out of my system you know i'm going to detox from that uh, I might pick up a couple of extra days of fasting. Uh, I'm going to start practicing charity because Ramadan is also a month of charity. So I'm going to give some month, uh, some money out rather uh, in this month, etc. So this is the month in which people generally begin to think about about that. And one of the Salaf they said that in Rajab you plant the seed, in Shaban you water the seed, and then in Ramadan you know that it grows and you bear the fruit of all of the practicing uh, practice that you put in. So we don't want Ramadan practice to begin on day one of Ramadan because by the time we get in the swing of it, it's almost Ramadan's almost out. But rather, we want to hit the ground running. So Rajab is also, you know, practicing for Ramadan from the point of view of clearing out the weeds, you know, working out all those problems and getting them out of our way under the auspices of that this is a sacred month. So we want this, you know, we want us, we want to meet that appropriately. Now, there are many hadith that talk about fasting and, and charity and stuff like that. And Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, one of the great hadith scholars, actually, he was called Amir al-Mu'mineen of the hadith, the commander of the faithful in hadith. He wrote a little treatise analyzing all of these hadith, and he found that there were no hadith that talk about these devotional practices that are sahih, sahih uh, that, are, that are sound. Now, that doesn't mean that, that it's, it's wrong to do those acts. No, it's just that's a technical understanding that the hadiths that talk about that are weak. So we don't ascribe any set sunnah 
to fasting in the month of Rajab, but we can fast certainly uh, because fasting is something that's mandub, it's something that's permissible in general. And the Prophet fasted all the time, all, you know, all sorts of times, you know, the middle of the month, Mondays and Thursdays, uh, beginning of the month, end of the month, etc. If you want to practice for fasting, you're know, making up days, all of that is permissible. But there's no like set sunnah. So that's that's important to to state. And if you followed my uh, work and, and what I have said and, and the little that I've written, you will know that when it comes to hadith, I like I try to do my best to point out when something is established as sahih or something is weak, uh, but that does not always inform how we act upon those hadith. So oftentimes we act on the hadith that are weak, especially when it comes to good good works. But it's important to be, let us say, academically um, honest that if a hadith is weak, then the hadith is weak. It, that, that's sort of the, the tradition that we've inherited. So that's about fasting and charity and things like that. Now having said that, another issue or another practice that's very common in the month of Rajab is something that people observe on the first Thursday of Rajab called Salatul Raqa'ib. And there are no sound hadith at all with this practice, even though some of the you know Salaf like Imam al-Ghazali and others have written about it, uh, that you know the first Thursday of Rajab you're going to fast and uh, the eve you're going to pray X number of rakahs and there's a dua that you say and there are all these rewards associated with that. Actually, many of the later ulama, even the later Sufis themselves, uh, would criticize this practice. And one of the uh, Sufi traditions that I inherited through my teachers, one of one of our you know lineages or our lines, they were also very uh, much against this this practice. However, uh, the approach that I like to take that uh, many of my teachers uh, took is that. As I just said with the hadith about fasting, okay, it's not an established sunnah, so that means we can't ascribe the act to the Prophet, peace be upon him. But if somebody wants to do this act because they're used to doing it, or they're in a community of, of uh, people that, that do it, and on the Thursday, first Thursday they fast and they pray, and they want to do this from the point of view of extra worship, that's fine. So extra worship, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, there's nothing wrong with fasting, there's nothing wrong with praying, there's nothing wrong with making dua. The only thing is, let's not say it's a sunnah. Let's not ascribe it to the Prophet, peace be upon him, because we have to be academically honest that there is no attributable act called Salat al-Raghaib that Sayyidina Muhammad Wasallam taught us. But from the point of view of extra work, sure, why not? So if that's something that you do under that category, you can, you can do it. And that's an important lesson, and this is just a little tangent, but that's an important lesson when we find things in uh, oftentimes in Sufi literature, uh, which there are these extra devotional practices, and you know people are sometimes they get all up in arms around them. Like, you know, slow down, slow down. You know, what is the person actually saying? Uh, they're not saying that this is necessarily a sunnah. They're saying that this is a permissible devotional act. If it's a permissible devotional act, then that's fine. If that's what people want to do, they can do it. Now, if you, if it's not a practice for you to do, you don't have to feel bad that you're not doing it because it's not a sunnah. So that's about salat al raqaib uh, we talked about Rajab, Ramadan prep, all of that. There's another aspect to the month of Rajab, which is also super important, is that this is the month in which we traditionally, on the eve of the 27th of Rajab, we commemorate the famous night journey of the Prophet, peace be upon him, the Isra and the Maraj. And that's the big, uh, the other big theme in the month of Rajab. Now, to put that in perspective, 
what does the what does that mean? What is the night night journey of the Prophet peace be upon him? There are many miracles attributed to Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. Some of the ulama have numerated them and counted them to be over a thousand, and there are all sorts of miracles. And a miracle simply is something that goes against what is commonly you know what commonly happens. But the Isra and the Ma'raj, specifically the Ma'raj part of the the ascent part, the night journey and the ascent, the ascent part is like a miracle of miracles. Because it, it goes against all sorts of natural phenomena and natural laws altogether. When the Prophet, peace be upon him, for example, when he was in his mosque and they built him a mimbar and then he climbed the mimbar the, the Friday when it was built and then the tree stump that he used to lean against for the Jummah khutbah started to cry. And then he descended the mimbar and he hugged the tree and the tree stopped crying and he whispered to the tree and all of the Sahaba observed that. That's a miracle. You know, we don't usually hear trees crying or trees speaking. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us in the Quran that there's nothing that, that has life except that it is in a state of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you kind of, okay, okay, we have some data for that. We have data for that. But most likely we will never see or experience that. So when it happens to the Prophet, peace be upon him, it's a miracle. But the night journey and the ascent, you know, the ascent specifically, as I said, that's just... We have nothing like that. There's there's nothing that talks about that at all. It breaks all rules. It, be, it breaks the speed of light. It breaks you know what is in the observable universe. He has gone where no human, no created being has gone before, and that's why it's this tremendous, unbelievable miracle that we commemorate, we celebrate, and and we redouble our commitment to our prayer because it is the event from which the five daily prayers come. So I don't want to go through the narration of the entire. Um, night journey uh, there are other people that have written about that I think that it's better to read than it is to sort of as an oral narrative but it is important that we highlight some of the you know some of the some we, we mentioned some of the highlights so it begins with the prophet peace be upon him in Mecca traveling with Gabriel on the Burak which is a special uh, animal that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created specifically for the prophets to use for transportation. So not just Sayyidina Muhammad Sassam, but all of the prophets, if there's travel involved in their prophetic mission, they would have, in our belief, would have gone on the Burak. And, you know, very fast, uh, they go from Mecca to Jerusalem. And this is, you know, one of the reasons why Jerusalem is, a, is one of the three holy cities in Islam and the first of the Qiblas. And... Uh, the Prophet Sallallahu in the, 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 the holy uh, mosque Al-Haram in Jerusalem the Prophet Sallallahu prayed with all of the Anbiya and uh, from this point we are reminded of our belief of life after death that one Allah Ta'ala as the Prophet Sallallahu informed us has not allowed the, the, the earth to consume the bodies of the Prophets so, um, so that they, their bodies are uh, still intact, which is one of the miracles of the prophets and holy people. And people have observed this, uh, you know, pious people that have passed away and things like that, many stories like that. And it reminds us of the belief that the soul can reunite with the body after life. So death, therefore, for us is just a transition from one form of life to another. It's not the end. Uh, the concept that death is the end is really a materialistic concept that sometimes we have inadvertently assumed, but it's not the case. Anyway, the Prophet ﷺ prays with all of the Prophets, and then that's the Isra, that's the night journey, and uh, for which Surah Al-Isra in the Qur'an, by the way, is named. And then the Prophet ﷺ ascends, 
the seven levels of the heaven, the Ma'raj. And that's like the, 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 the wow miracle here that I've been talking about. And to put that in perspective, the Prophet, peace be upon him, informed us that there are seven levels of, of heaven that we don't observe. So everything that we see in the observable universe, this is like level one, right? Everything that we can possibly observe, we can possibly map out, we can possibly see with all of our technology and all of our estimate, all of that. So that's, that's level one. And level one compared to level two, the Prophet ﷺ said, is like a ring cast in a desert. Halqatun fi Meaning the entire observable universe, if you compare that with the size of the second level of heaven, of the cosmos, or heavens, which we don't see, this, what we see now, is like a small ring that's cast in a vast desert. And the second level, in comparison to the third level, is like a ring cast in a desert. And the third level, in comparison to the fourth level, is like a ring cast in the desert. Fourth to the fifth, same thing, all the way to the seventh level of heaven, in comparison to the throne of, of God, is like a ring cast in a desert. So we're talking about space that we cannot comprehend with our, with our mind. We can't understand that size. We can't map that out. You can't chart that. It's impossible. You, maybe you can do like one or two, and then your mind starts to like, I can't do any more. So we're talking about creation uh, that we know of only through our through revelation, through the Qur'an and the, the teachings of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Which reminds us of how small we are, but also reminds us about how significant we are as creation, that we have been given this trust to be morally entrusted with, with this message and with uh, moral responsibility, etc. Which is another topic altogether, but it reminds us of that. But that the Prophet ﷺ was blessed to have gone through all of that, to, to, to traverse. And each level, you know, in the story, in the narration of the story, each level, the Prophet ﷺ, you know, Gabriel's like knocking at the door that takes you from one level to the next level. And, uh, you know, who's with you? Oh, Muhammad. He's like, oh, we were only allowed to open it for him. You know, so this reminds us of the exalted status of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And at each level, he meets some of the Prophets, and he converses with them, and he describes them, etc., all the way till he gets to the throne of God. And in one of the narrations, this is like one of my favorite parts of the story, um, there's a man that the Prophet, peace be upon him, observes drowning in the light of the throne of God, which is just a, a you know a very moving description, I find, personally. And then the Prophet, peace be upon him, asks Gabriel, who is that? You know, these are all archetypes that, that Allah has shown the Prophet, him, to show him the kind of rewards that will happen you know, for the work that we do. And Gabriel said, this is a man uh, whose tongue was constantly moist with the remembrance of God. And this is such a beautiful, you know, the, the reward <laughs> of that is that you are drowning in the light of the throne of God. It's just a beautiful, uh, a beautiful concept. You know, I hope, I hope all of us, inshallah, will, will be able to taste that. And then he goes past that. You know, to Sidrat al-Muntaha, you know, to this far, furthest place where, where no creation can go or has gone, in which the Prophet, peace be upon him, converses directly with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, well, you know, what a tremendous honor. Uh, and then to be given the 50 prayers, and, you know, he goes back, and then Moses says, oh, that's too many, uh, we were given less, you, you have to ask for less, and back and forth, back and forth until there are five, all of that. And then the Prophet, sallallahu comes back, uh, to Mecca, you know, his his bed is still warm. That reminds us of the relativity of time and, and some of the early indication that our literature talks about the relativity of time and the miraculous version, uh, the miraculous journey that the Prophet, peace be upon him, went, went to. 
And of all of the things uh, that this happened, all of the things that were happening in the Prophet's life, I think there are two major takeaways for us. One is that the night journey, the Isra and the Ma'raj, the night journey and the ascension rather, it happened at the most difficult time in the Prophet's life, peace be upon him. He had just he just lost his, his wife, Lady Khadija alayhi salam, who was the mother of all of his children, main supporter, first to believe in his message. And he lost his uncle, so who was his supporter against the people of Quraysh. So his financial resources, his uh, political connections, uh, his society connections, all of that's now threatened. And this was at a, at a real peak of the difficulties that the early Muslim community had in Mecca. Uh, to the point that the Prophet ﷺ himself, you know, referred to this as, the, as a year of sorrow. We call this in the Sirah, Haim al-Huzn, the year of sorrow. In which he says, such a low point of struggle and difficulty. But yet in that ultimate low point, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him uh, in this miraculous way. In a way in which nobody really in humanity has been blessed before. And lifted the Prophet ﷺ up in another way. And this is a pattern, a sunnah that Allah talks about in the Quran. Whoever is mindful, fearful of God, God will show them a way out. But the way out might not be the way we think it is. It might be a different way. So the Prophet ﷺ was honored in this way. And that's a reminder for all of us when we go through difficult times. Is that as long as our um, you know, moral compass is pointing due north then inshallah will prevail allah will will, will will show us a way out it just might be from a way an angle we weren't ex- expecting so not to give up hope and to remember that the best of creation peace be upon him had the most difficult of 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 tasks and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him in the most you know unimaginable way and the second thing of, of all of the things that have been legislated in islam of all of the things that we're supposed to do the one thing that comes in this super miraculous way is the prayer. And that underscores the absolute fundamental importance of prayer. The Prophet ﷺ called it, uh, you know, the backbone of Islam. He said, uh, there is no good in a religion that has no prayer. That that which is between us and the disbelievers is prayer. The first thing that we will be asked about Yom Al-Qiyamah is our prayer, etc., etc., etc. And the fact that it's legislated and it comes in this miraculous episode of the Prophet's life, peace be upon him, to me reminds me of that importance. You know, fasting didn't come that way. Zakat didn't come that way. Uh, you know, Being good to your neighbors didn't come that way. But prayer came that way. And that underscores the absolute fundamental importance. That that's really the beginning of our Islamic life. It's the beginning and the end of our Islamic life. And the quality of our Islam, the quality of our um, relationship with God, the quality of our spiritual advancement is only going to be as strong and as good as our prayer is. So this is a reminder in this month as we begin you know, to commemorate, and I, I really do hope that we do commemorate and you sit down during the month and read the details of this miraculous story. I, I mean, there's enough material that's out there for us to do that. Um, and if you're listening and you, know, you have your own uh, people or your own sphere or your own students or whatever to, to take this as an opportunity that okay at the end of Rajab we're going to have a special class or a special khutbah or something about Isra and Maraj and prayer it's a time for us to recommit and this also is links to what we said a few minutes ago about this being the month of preparation for Ramadan uh, because you know we don't want to be the Muslim that enters Ramadan where we're fasting but not praying I mean some people do that unfortunately 
And, you know, inshallah, Allah accepts the fast and all of that. But if, you know, if, we're, if our prayer is, is deficient, that's not, that's not good news. That, that's not good news. That's got to be down. You know, we got to be praying five times a day without fail. Uh, you can talk, you can look at my uh, the episodes on the Sharia hacks. I've, I've tried to make some, you know, prayer a little bit easy with some hacks that you can follow um, and things like that. Particularly if you live in non-Muslim majority country, uh, there are some things that you can do that that can help make the prayer a little bit easier. But it's really we really got to commit to that. It, it it's only our life is only going to be as good as our prayer is. Uh, so that when difficulty happens, I don't have to be like, well, I know this is happening because I'm not praying. You know, I want to be like, no, okay, I pray. I'm doing everything. I'm doing the best I can with with the things I know I'm supposed to do. And something bad happens. I'm like, inshallah, you know, it will pass. Uh, and I can be relaxed about it. I don't want to be the person where something bad happens and I'd be and I'd be like, you know what, I haven't been praying like, you know, I've been really lax in my prayer. And it becomes like a reminder. You don't want to that that, that feeling is, is not nice. So the Isra and Maraj, the reason it's one of our holidays and festivals, etc., is that it reminds us that this is so fundamentally important to our uh us, our identity as Muslims. So I hope that that that's beneficial and helpful, and you know I think I hope that this motivates us to reconnect with our prayer, uh, and you know try to perfect it and make it better. And if we are praying, start to pray the sunnahs and and things like that. So uh, this is a big month. It's a big month. It's a sacred month. It's a big month because it is the beginning of the countdown towards Ramadan. It's a big month because it's also the month in which we commemorate not only. Uh, the prayer as we just were saying a second ago but also this miraculous event and we honor and we we remind ourselves about how amazing the prophet peace be upon him was that he went through all of these things and what that what that must have been like for him emotionally to go through that and in this low point in his life and etc etc it's just another point of connection uh, and then hopefully when we we get that message then the following month in Shaban, you know, we have another opportunity in the the eve of the fifteenth of Shaban. We'll talk about that as well. Uh, all of that in preparation for this great month of Ramadan, and Ramadan itself is preparation for Laylatul Qadr and things like that. So I'll leave it there. Um, I hope that uh, we can make this month special for all of us, uh, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care.